Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of... Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics. I'm joined, as always, by my two co-hosts, Thad. Yeah, that is that is me. And Kara. I got cats. I am going to say, I saw that. Yeah, it's true. I, I got cats, and they hate me so much, but I love them. Yeah. <laughs> you are now officially a cat owner. <laughs> And we're doing another episode of Propaganda and Atifa Themes. This Ooh. week, we're doing, not purely by accident, Red <laughs> Dawn and War Games. Mm-hmm. The 1984 Red Dawn, to be clear, and the 1983 yeah. War Games. Yeah. Um, yeah. Both of these Oh, are... yeah, they did do, like, a direct-to-video War Games sequel, too, didn't they? Yeah, I believe so. Both of these are older than us or from our very early nope. infancy. <laughs> nope, just older than you. <laughs> I was like, nope, I was alive during these. No, okay, War Games is older than me, that's fair. Or early infancy. Yeah. Um. So we're going to start off with Red Dawn. Kara, yeah. do you want to start us off? I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Red Dawn... Um, is super weird because it has several characters that we follow. I don't know any of their names. And now usually <laughs> I don't know any of their names, but this movie is especially bad for all of them kind of meshing into the same white people. And I actually went and read some other reviews of it who are like from like the eighties. And they're like, Oh, these are all the same white people. I'm like, thank you. It's not just me. Yeah. There's the character of Patrick Swayze, the character of Charlie Sheen, the character of Lee, the character of Lee Thompson, the character of Jennifer Gray. I want you to know it took me a long time to figure out that was Charlie Sheen. Oh yeah. He, yeah, he he looks, it is a little weird. Well, because they don't do a good job of like showing you all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Before they start wearing gorilla, like camouflage gear all the time. Because the only one who stands out is Patrick Swayze, because you're like, why is this random old dude hanging out with these kids? And then you're like, oh, he's a brother with one of them. That guy looks familiar. Yeah, this movie starts in a hurry, which makes it a little bit hard to get that grounding of who these characters are. Anyway, Kara, <laughs> you were saying. Actually, yeah, this this movie gets off the ground very quickly. So um, a bunch of uh, football players and youths in a Colorado town are... They're going to school. The older brother of one of them, Patrick Swayze, uh, drops them off. And the communists attack. The world communists. The communists <laughs> attack. And so uh, there's like some did. pre-title cards that like sort of articulate that there's like a famine going on in uh, Russia and the Soviet bloc. And that the Soviet bloc has met up with Latin America, which is full of communist regimes. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we wish. Um, <laughs> so it's this town is violently taken over, and the kids grab some of their friends, and so about five or six young white boys end up in the woods with the two brothers, um, Charlie Sheen and Patrick Swayze, who teach them. In his first movie, by the way. Oh, really? Yes. Sorry, to sneeze. And they at first just sort of survive. And then they sneak into town and find out that all of the dissidents have been pulled into a camp, at which point they realize that things are getting very bad. And they slowly become guerrilla fighters uh, using their school mascot Wolverines to strike out and kill the communists who are occupying their town. Eventually uh, a downed... American pilot joins them and explains a little bit of world building of what's going on. And then eventually as they're whittled off one by one, the two brothers do a suicide run. So that way one of the girls and one of the boys in the team can make a run for free America and try to survive. There is a fantastic subplot with a, um, uh, a Latin American Colonel, journal, I oh, Colonel, yeah, I don't uh, really know. I'm going to be embarrassed myself here. I don't. I love militaristic on, sci-fi. Uh, Colonel, Colonel Ernesto Bella, played by Ron O'Neill. O'Neill, the most Latin of names. Yeah, he started out in black exploitation. <laughs> but um, Colonel Ernesto is a fantastic character, and I maybe overemphasize him in my mind when I think about this movie. <laughs> Because, because he's the only one with any kind of like <laughs> sympathetic or empathetic story that we can. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's um, it's truly amazing because he like takes over this town and he's like, I used to be 
a revolutionary. I used to be a dissident. I used to fight. It's implied, to my mind at least, it's implied he used to fight the American government or American government forces. At I mean, home. American government proxies at the very least. Yeah. And so his whole arc in this is like, I have gone from a revolutionary at home to a colonizer abroad. And his arc at the end of the movie is him slowly becoming more and more disillusioned with, of course, the evil Russian communists. Uh, and eventually, uh, when the young boys, the young brothers are doing their suicide run, he sees that they have both been terribly wounded, are about to die, and essentially want to stagger off to die alone. And he sees them, realizes that he could kill them, but instead chooses to let them go and realizes he doesn't want any more part of this and he just wants to go home. They look mm. at each other and see the humanity inside their eyes. That Yeah, there's an interesting, like, I I can't call this anything other than postmodern propaganda because <laughs> there are things in this that because, at least the way that I talked about it with Kara earlier, because mm-hmm. this movie came out after Apocalypse Now, after war movies, like, became, became real. Yeah, after war movies needed to start showing the horrors of war, uh, that this movie has to tokenly humanize the opposition in a, in a couple of ways, and I find that really fascinating because, in a lot of ways, it's still very overt propaganda, but it doesn't get to go all the way into like making the enemies into inhuman monsters that always must be crushed. Well, okay, it's, fun it's trivia. Kind of, hmm? Do you know who wrote Apocalypse Now? Uh, no. The director of Red Dawn, John Malou. Oh. oh. Well, okay, there you go. There is... Right about everything. Okay, so there... <laughs> I, this cannot be expressed through, like, trying to summarize this film. Hmm. The vibe is if somebody was a member of the John Birch Society, <laughs> but, like, kind of sane... Uh, so like like when the Thaddeus actually had the strongest reaction to this of the two of us, oh. but um so the boys you know the boys are like hunters they know how to live in the wilderness they like force one of their comrades to, like, drinking the deer's blood to, yep. to kill a deer and drink its blood and Thaddeus actually stopped and he goes oh my god that's where Alex Jones this is the movie where Alex Jones gets a bunch of his like red scare BS <laughs> yes. and like whatever yeah, and this I'm, has like, come up in a, a podcast that Kara and I listen to that analyzes Alex Jones and Infowars and like that sphere of propaganda but like Dude talks about this kind of like, oh, no, you see, drinking the, the hot blood of your first kill is, is an important ritual, but it's a good ritual, not like the evil. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, he 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 fucking got that from Red Dawn. I, <laughs> I 100% believe that. Because and here's the thing is I didn't I have always heard an Alex Jones's rants, like obvious Red Dawn references. I didn't realize that Thais hadn't seen it and didn't know this. But no, the, know the thing and then so these two kids have been taught to hunt and whatever by their dad and have this kind of toxic, like the, their toxic attitude towards masculinity kind of like goes back Ooh, and forth. I'm like, sorry. Can, to I, cry, but no, can I, can I butt in here real quick? Yes. Uh, Cause I want to ask Jeremiah something since this is also his first time watching this movie is I'm very curious. Cause obviously like it's not a badly made movie. Um, but what I want to know is when did this movie really lose you? It lost me right about the time the kids, the student council president, like, why don't we put this up for a vote? Ah, and okay. Patrick Swayze is like, "Fuck you, I'm in charge," and I was like, hmm. "Wow, See, I, that- I, yeah, that's a good one." <laughs> I I actually lasted a little while longer, or maybe my 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 the backlash I had later on was just worse, and so I forgot about that. But the moment that they had. Harry Dean Stanton, one of the most charming and fun character actors, deliver like the ultimate absolution of abusive, toxic dude. Like, oh, you know, I was hard on you, but look, it's all completely justified. Everything I ever did to you, now you see why it's important. I was so angry. We had to stop the movie and Kara just had to listen to me yell about how much I couldn't stand that idea. Like, how dare you? So, so, so these boys... <laughs> Find their dad in a concentration camp, Esk. like a re-education camp, <laughs> and he's like, "You understand?" And like he's sad, 
Like, this is the thing, is he said, he's like, you understand, like, I did things that made you hate me, but, like, now you understand why I had to do it. So it's like a justification for this weird John Birch survivalist toxic education, because that's the only reason any of these kids survive any amount of time at all is from what he's taught his sons. And then he tells them, cry, you're crying for me, because, of course, they're crying. I mean, I don't know, of course, but they're crying. He's like, never cry again. Let it turn to something else inside you. Which Avenge me! And the rest of the movie, and then when they're leaving, he screams, like, foaming at the mouth, incoherent, avenge me. And the difference between me and Thaddeus is that as a kid, I always read that as, like, he was only right with what he taught his kids by accident, and he's still fucking crazy. And Thad Mm. is like, no, the movie is playing this moment straight. Yeah, the movie. Yeah, no, the movie you, is playing it straight. The movie is. This is the movie saying yes, a, yes, a generation of young, growing boys in the eighties. Everything that your dad has ever done to you, no matter how abusive, is good and right because the communists will come eventually, just like they are here, and we all have to be hard men. So, so I will I'm say so this. Mad. When Harry Dean Stanton showed up, I was like, "Oh no, not Harry Dean Stanton!" <laughs> and then I was like, "God." He's so good because he He's was so, he selling is so good. That's... that monologue until the avenge me, and then yeah. I, and then I just I I just kept laughing. That's because what made a lot me of particular... moments in this movie where they're like big drama, and I'm like, <laughs> no. The yeah, that's what made me so mad is his though... earnestly selling that monologue. Like I was <laughs> oh, furious. The opening scene, though, to me is something that I wonder how modern kids would respond to. Because I saw this movie when I was about 13. Oh, the school shooting shit. Yeah. Yeah. But the Russians burst in and start shooting the children at school as they flee and fight their way out. Yeah. And that like, was, I, both that of was these something movies, that I wondered how it would feel. I would love to hear some Zoomer takes on both yeah. of these movies because uh, they're they're so of their era. I actually found I, I've so I've always watched this movie and I think I was wrong, like <laughs> not like immoral, but like incorrect. So I've always watched this movie as fundamentally being like kind of like a rah rah American survivalism, but especially with the secondary plotline of Ernesto, I've always watched it as being like the revolution has to stay at home. That whatever that we all have the right because there's a, a great part where um, Jed, one of Jeb, Jed, whatever. Kurt Russell is about to Not kill. Not Kurt Russell, Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze. What did I say, Kurt Russell? Uh, Patrick Swayze is about to kill a kid, uh, a soldier their age, who he's captured. And someone's like, if you just shoot a captured person with their hands tied behind their back, like, what's the difference between them and us? And Patrick Swayze goes, we lit, like, screams in, like, this terrible, like, grief rage about what he has, what he feels he has to do. We live here and shoots this guy. And I've always read this, especially with like what Ernesto talks about being a revolutionary is like, yeah, if you want your own country to be communist, do it. It's when your revolution escapes its borders that it becomes immoral. And yeah, Ernesto's and thing it, does have a weird kind of like, no, no, is if you keep your nationalism at home, it's fine if you're communist, sort of just go <laughs> away. Like It's a really fascinating, like, I don't know what to make of it because it's a little bit like, it, it, it's, I don't know. It's a very, like, propaganda-heavy movie, but I feel Mm. that one of the good things about it, not good, but one of the interesting things is that people are like, oh, propagandists all believe this one very specific thing that's sort of easy and digestible. Mm. And these little things around the edges about, like, oh, like, no, maybe the enemy is honorable but wrong, and, like, this kind of stuff is something you have to keep in mind. Yeah, that's why I definitely... the the John Birchiness <laughs> of this like even even as like thirteen I'm like damn they're laying it on real hard. <laughs> also, we don't see the communists do anything communisty. No, yeah, no. Uh, I w- think- I want to point out one thing. This movie was made with support and with Congress and with the support of the DOD. Oh, of course it was. <laughs> Which primarily makes it why it's a propaganda film and it's because. <laughs> The DOD was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're 100% behind this. I have to Um, disagree. This is like the most violent movie ever made with like violent scenes per minute. Right, which is odd because it's so, the way Malou shoots it, it's like so almost blase. It doesn't like stick. Well, I think part of the reason why there's so, like, there's quote unquote so many scenes of violence is because a lot of the violence, especially through the the second act of the movie, is done in montages. Yeah. Yeah. Which are very good. It's a very interesting movie to watch. Like, yeah. the it has honestly, I hate to say this, but like, 
the action feels real. The shots feel real. The hits feel real. Like it feels mm -hmm. real and meaty and kind of sad and tragic. Like it's a very sad movie, which is mm -hmm. weird. Cause I'm like, why is it so, why is this propaganda piece so fucking sad about like the inevitability of war? Like I don't, I don't get what you think you're saying. <laughs> My favorite part of this movie hmm. is when Ernesto is writing that letter home to his wife. Dearest hmm. wife. Right. That he's yeah. doing the voiceover. And in the background, there's the Russian Reading a Playboy. Reading a Playboy. Yes. <laughs> That I like, this might be my favorite frame shot. Like, what I knew saying? I saw that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so John Mew says this because there were, of course, protesters who picketed the MGA, MGM UA building. Uh, what once were they protesting? Wait, which, yeah, which way were they protesting? Like, what, what, they were protesting were... after the NCTV survey came out, calling it really violent. Oh, okay. So they're just uh, mad me, that the movie was violent. Yeah. Hmm. Me, you okay. was like, what these people really don't like is that the movie shows violence being perpetrated against Russian and Cuban invaders, which is what the demonstration was all about. My question is, where were all these demonstrators when the Russians shot down that airliner? Were they cheering? And what about these people being gassed and yellow rained in Afghanistan? There's really no pleasure in outraging these people. I suppose next some extreme right-wing organization will give me an award, which is equally ridiculous. Oh no. Soon afterward, the gun owners of America <laughs> announced they were honoring Milius for, quote, dramatically Gun owners of America, if you're not familiar with the the, the like right-wing political sphere, is the further right than the NRA uh, gun organization. Uh, so what's interesting is John Liu <laughs> clearly knows something about geopolitical events. Yeah, he's not unaware. Right. And when they did the remake, he was like, it makes no sense to make them Korean or China. We trade with them, which <laughs> I don't know why that's, but okay. And he, then uh, he says, it makes more sense to have it be Mexico. And I'm like, now you're just being racist. What? <laughs> oh my God. I, I don't think, <sighs> honestly, I don't think Mexico would invade us because I think Mexico knows trash when it sees it. <laughs> well, like, so here's the thing. Thad made a really interesting point calling this uh, postmodernist propaganda. I knew it. I knew yes! that, that. Score! I knew it was such a smart thing to say, and you pick up on it, Jeremiah. I knew it from the uh. moment that he said it, and I could see the smug, proud look on his face. Uh. Sorry. So, because I've been thinking, part of the reason why, like, in the last 10, 20 years, we don't really have, like, when people call something propaganda, it never really sticks. It's yeah. because now you have this weird sort of optical course to clear in order not just to get the movie made, but distributed internationally. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason why originally the remake of Red Dawn was going to be China, but they wanted the movie to play in China. So yep. then they made it North Korea. Uh, and it's this weird thing where like, yes, movies are propaganda nowadays, but now they're also in late stage capitalism, unable to be, yeah, they can't propaganda. not be globalized. So then you have these weird movies where, like, yes, the military funded this, and yes, the military approved it, and yes, there's a subplot about how the hero realizes they're actually fighting against a genocide. They're fighting on the side of the genocidal fascists. Oh, we're we talking they, Captain Marvel? Yeah, <laughs> it's like <laughs> this really weird thing happens, and this kind of like reminds me a lot of Red Dawn because yeah. I see all this anti-Red Scare stuff. At the mm -hmm. same time, it can also become clear that no one involved knows what communism is. Yeah! <laughs> there is no... They call each other comrade, and there is no... Yeah. They, they use <sighs> communisty. Well, I can only describe as communisty buzzwords. It's what I will describe as the communist imaginary. They they are the they have this veneer of what people who watch movies and TV in America and that's the sole like font of their geopolitical knowledge right. think communism is. Like, I mean, you if you wanted to, if you wanted to make a movie like this, and they mainly want to focus on sort of like. Again, it's weird because the movie, I, I think that Thaddeus calling it like a postmodern war movie is per perfect because these children who are fighting as guerrilla fighters are clearly horribly traumatized and feel they are doing terrible things. And the humanity of the people that they are killing, like as they scream and beg for help, is very real. Yeah. Like, one it, of the... it's very oh, odd, sorry. but um, it, it would be very easy to slip into scene 
of like at the propaganda camps where they're like, yeah, we've seized all of your private property and you will now work in the farm collectives. Like they could be doing like. They could take inspiration from like actual abuses. Yeah. (laughs) It's like like there, there are lots of examples of communism gone bad. even though they killed off the Chinese communists off screen, they could still like they could steal some cultural revolution shit. Oh, like there's... Thaddeus had to pause at that Chinese <laughs> dad. You got to tell him. <laughs> oh my god! Like the fact that when the the air the air force guy tells them that like the that China was nuked by the Russians. <laughs> that is not what he says. What does he say, Thaddeus? Oh yeah, China's on our. We have five hundred thousand Chinese on our sides because they nuked the rest or whatever. No, like, that's not what he said. He said. Then you say it. I don't remember. He says, "I think about this line every day, and I have for almost twenty years." Okay. <laughs> Who do we have on our side? Uh, we have six hundred thousand screaming Chinese. Oh yeah. I thought there were a billion screaming Chinese. Oh, that was it. There oh. were dramatically throws spit cup in fire fire jumps nothing is said what happened to there's no like is it a nuclear because like previously they were talking about like america's american cities being nuked which is why we didn't let off our Uh, nuclear weapon silos right as and so it's like were they nuked were they just died in a war did they starve like i feel like I feel like the implication is that Russia nuked them. Like that was how I read that. Can I just say, Chinese man, I loved the fact that like, oh no, 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 we decided we would never nuke each other. That was absurd. I'm like, yeah, but we nuked Japan. Like, why? When did it all of a sudden become? Did we draw the line? I, um, I oh, oh. The, the way I read it was that they did nuke American cities, but they wanted to conquer our land, and they needed the land to be arable because they were conquering it. And yeah, it's due, not- partially due to a famine. I mean, it sounded like they the the they nuked like the American missile silos, and like right. America's response was poor Kansas City. Yeah. Oh well. Boo-hoo. <laughs> um, I will say we don't live, we don't live the, there anymore. It's fine. One of the things that bothered me about this movie was <laughs> okay. one of the things, one of the many things that, despite like having some grasp, like militarily knowledge of how things operate, mm. it's just the Wolverines. Like, yeah. there's no resistance it's just the wolverine it never grows mm. which is not how a guerrilla resistance would yeah. work they would have lots of more people joining there's not even yeah, it, a network there's a moment in the scene and there's a scene later where they're listening to the radio and the dj makes some totally obvious oh yeah some weird something. coded phrases yeah yeah and no one does anything i was like okay what what was the point <laughs> is there yeah. a resistance outside why is this small town in colorado just sitting by <laughs> i mean there. okay so so two there were two other things that really popped out to me one sort of kara touched on like the the child soldier thing i thought was really interesting because again yeah. like they they show it in a way that does raise like moral concerns because when like, Kara was talking about when Patrick Swayze was was having difficulty executing people later, uh, one at one point when they have to shoot or when they're they're arguing over whether or not to shoot uh, one of the child soldiers that has betrayed them because his father was a weak politician who ratted him out to the uh, to the to the Reds, you know, for not and, standing up against the communist threat. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> one of the kid, one of the other kids, ends up being the one to shoot him because Patrick Swayze can't do it, and. I think that that's in- an interesting like thing to show is that like oh when you make child soldiers, they'll be worse than you. Yeah, uh, there's actually a, a well because this kid I think it's Bobby, Robert, Bobby. It could Bobby. it could be you're, could you're be right. Any it could of be. them, <laughs> but uh, like his, his he's actually like weirdly easy to distinguish because he wears a hat that he stole off a dead man for a while. Oh okay. And uh, the the American soldier that drops like sees it like this kid is crazy. Like, he's clearly lost the thread. Hmm. And uh, the American soldier sees him as like, kid, you've got to do some because his whole family's been murdered. And he's like, kid, you got to do something with all that hate before it eats you up inside. And the kid just goes, keeps you warm at night. Keeps and the like night. American soldier is like, uh, like, like, it, it's very odd can, because the American all... oh, soldier that drops in is very much trying to do soldiering. 
And the movie sort of frames him like he should be in charge and he knows what's going on. But these kids are actually doing a lot more work and a lot more terrible environments. Like at one point he's like, you guys don't know suffering. It's like you're literally eating the food from the animal they killed in the woods as they have been living like fairly off the land in the winter of the Rockies. Like, shut the fuck up. Can we also can we also uh, just uh, celebrate the craziest of the child soldiers, Jennifer Grey's Tony Mason? Yeah, she's amazing. I love her. Uh, that bitch is crazy. You well, may when the two ladies, you may recognize the two girls her as showed the, up. I was like, is that yeah. Jennifer Grey and Dale Leone? Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. It, it was Jennifer Grey and Lee Thompson. Oh, Lee Thompson. Sorry. Uh, so the mom from Back to the Future, Lee Thompson, and uh, Jennifer Grey being the older sister from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, or Baby from Dirty Dancing. Who yep. she would eventually star with, Patrick Swayze. Yeah. <laughs> but they do this weird, like, pseudo-feminist thing where it's like, now the women can be just as crazy uh, as the men. It's <laughs> just kind of well, fascinating. It, I can never tell if the movie was hinting that something had happened to Leah Thompson's character. Because hmm. they said, oh, no, something happened. Yeah, they tried to, you know, sexually assault them. It was the implication that I got. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we, and then she starts a relationship with Powers Booth, the general or colonel, whatever, the soldier that ends up joining them for a little bit. And I was like, this yeah. is creepy. Who's clearly 40, and it's super creepy. <laughs> unbelievably creepy. And then when he dies pathetically, she's right. like, I'll never love again. Right. Which is a very weird moment. <laughs> this married man who I never did anything with was my one true love. <laughs> this married man I never did anything with that I quizzed excessively about his probably dead wife and child. <laughs> it's so weird. It's oh, so this weird. Movie. This movie... This movie makes choices. They, uh, that's what I could say. I'm going to cite something real quick from a review I read because it's one of my favorite things. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, this magazine, Mel Magazine, mm-hmm. um, quizzed a bunch of actual communists about Red Dawn. <gasps> I was oh, wondering. Oh, yay. And uh, they, at the end, they're like, who are you rooting for? And one of them said, as for who I wanted to win, I just don't know. I feel like I do when the Yankees played the Indians and I just root for the structural failure in the stadium. I saw that one. Oh, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's one of the things where you're like, this is weird because I understand I'm supposed to be rooting for the kids, but I don't know any of these kids. And when they start to die off, I don't feel anything. And the one I feel the most sympathy for is the communist colonel. (laughs) <laughs> yes he's the only one that's like a real character yeah like the one who's just like you know and the one who even says you know maybe we should start actually try winning the hearts and minds <laughs> yeah yeah he says why aren't we trying to win hearts and minds like i'm i'm a revolutionary i'm not a f- he literally says i'm not a cop which I'm not a cop <laughs> yeah <laughs> which i also <laughs> love the fact that the movie understands cops are fucking bad <laughs> yeah being a cop is shit being a cop is not is anti. Well, I, being a I actually cop is do counter revolutionary. I I do get that if you if you look at this as that kind of like John Birchie. Yeah, that kind of that that right wing conspiracy mindset. Because from that perspective, the cops are the people who will come and take your guns when the liberal commies take over. Right. Like oh, that part where they went and got the uh, yeah. One of the first one of the first shots of uh, uh, like of aftermath of death in the movie is a bumper sticker saying, "You can take my gun out of my cold dead hand." And then someone does that. <laughs> But it also has the thing where they're like, oh, go and look up these forms because they have yep. everybody recorded who has a gut. Yep, that so is funny straight out of... Movie. It doesn't I, seem I, like it, those people did anything. It, it, it seems odd because it's like, are you trying to say that like, because that you'll take the gun out of my cold dead hand and then they do it. It's kind of like yeah. saying like, yeah, that actually isn't as bad as you think it is. It's a very and mixed then, message. Like, the very mixed, next thing is like, oh, don't like register your guns. And it's like, I don't. Yeah, yeah. If you register your guns, the evil gun grabbers will use that information to come and take your guns from you when they t- when the communists take over. Like this is, like it's just like this is going. Yeah, going back to like the earliest like right wing crazy conspiracy propaganda does inform what this movie puts forward as the, a real world threat. It's well, not so only wild. that, but like this is a small town in Colorado. If the question is who has guns, the answer is yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> you don't need this. 
That was a, yes. I also loved how they went back into town and I was like, mm. oh my god, everyone's looking for you. I'm like, really? Because they yeah. did a crap job yes. right there. Because it's, it's, it's like they get to go on a Disney like ride walking tour of the evil occupation that is definitely looking for all of them, but we ignore that part so that they can go and talk to everybody about how terrible things are. Well, not only like, that, it's, but it's like, surely they would have had someone on the perimeter and they would have been like, oh hey, those Fucking kids from the woods were looking for. Yeah, they even say like you can't you can't get out of town, and then it they just do. Like it's... <laughs> They're able and to go to fairness, a concentration camp and just stand outside and have a conversation with people. Yeah, yeah. In all fairness, I do want to point out that I also cannot tell these kids apart. <laughs> so perhaps they were looking, but just couldn't figure out who any of them were. Ooh, maybe they had like the same it. screenplay, and I was like, I don't yeah. understand. Yeah. But I, I just love that. Like, no one's allowed to talk about uh, the concentration camp on the end of town. No one talks about. No one acknowledges it. Yeah, no one. Everyone are. doesn't. <laughs> and then it's like a concentration camp that has like literally like thirty or forty people standing outside the gates talking to people inside. And it's yeah, they're like, not the only ones talking to people through the. Fence. Not only that, but honestly, it was the drive-in that they can't they converted into a prison camp. Yeah, that's <laughs> wild. This movie Again, makes choices. That, this movie makes choices. Because it's weird. I'm like, is this a statement about like the foolishness of? <laughs> like film to deal with real issues in this film that it is to us <laughs> so I when don't... i told you i didn't like this movie mm-hmm. i mean that in the fact that like it's a very well made bad movie yeah and yet i have thought about this movie it's it's arresting <laughs> it is impossible not to think about because there are like so many moments of you like well, what's going on there oh it's some but well it's literally sometimes to be like Oh, this movie just forgot they were supposed to have a plot halfway through and just started doing more and more incoherent vignettes. Yeah, it it loses it loses steam like in in the the third act real hard. And this is the same guy who did Conan the Barbarian. And honestly, I think that sort of force of That's personality and machismo is kind of what makes the movie so fascinating. Mm. Uh, hey, speaking of movies that are fascinating, we also <laughs> watched War Games. We did. Directed by a man with the name John Batham. Because <laughs> all hams are bad. Uh, all right. So this one wasn't made with the support of anything that no. I could find. But the incoming uh, head of the CIA. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What was his name? But the, yeah, the incoming head of the CIA went to the screening of war games. Mm-hmm. So there's that. All right. Well, um, let's see. Well, the CIA can't support anything openly. You know how it is, right? No, they just do it through a barely there veneer. <laughs> uh, anyway, war games. So uh, you want to just Bill Casey? That was his name. Sorry. Ah, okay. So, okay, you want to describe war games? Um, yeah. Give me one second, because I need to. Okay. So we meet Matthew Broderick, so young, so cute, um, as David Lightman, who is just this, um, and who is just this like n- kind of normal high school student. He's into computers in the '80s. So this is the early '80s. This is when computers are like glorified calculators. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so he's kind of into computers, and he, for example hacks so he has a crush on this girl from from his class uh jennifer and he actually hacks into the school's computer and by that i mean that he figures out the password uh goes into the to the school system and just using the password changes their grades so establishes that he understands computers he (laughs) is really interested and he finds out this computer game company is releasing some new games so he sets up his computer to call random numbers in the area to find an open line which he eventually does, and he finds an open line, and it's a, something for games. And he's like, ooh, I'm going to play some games. And he tries to figure out a backdoor password to play these games, realize that one of the games, Falcon's Maze, is based on a specific person, and use, researches that person excessively, finds out he's dead, but he had a son named Joshua, and uses the name Joshua as a backdoor password. What I really like about all this, sorry, is that all of this like hacking and stuff, none of it is hacking. Yeah, well, it is. It is, though. It is. It's it's phishing, which is a lot more realistic of, like, how you hack computers. It's long, arduous stuff that's researching people and then, like, finding open motives. Social engineering is, like, the way that you hack 
it's not like double keyboards ncis stuff like it's like well kara what one of the things sorry to interrupt but when when kara said like he figures out the password of the school's computer because he knows where they write it down yeah so like when he gets in trouble he just pulls out this little thing where it's written down and looks at what it is and that is very accurate yeah, and Matthew Broderick's character David is a phone freaker. He's he's a technician. He doesn't. There's no him doing programming, at all. It's just him understanding how computers and people work. So he starts to play a game with a computer called Global Thermonuclear War, and Back he in the realized, world, baby. <laughs> and he realizes that this is not a game. When he real when he hears on the news, great coincidence news that some American jets have actually been scrambled due to a computer glitch, and he realizes the game is real. He has already pan- he has already turned it off, and he's like, "Okay, it's over." The computer calls him back because it wants to keep playing, and this is where things go off the rails for him. He is arrested by the government. They drag him in. Uh, he manages to escape. He talks to the computer. Uh, he talks to the computer again, who reveals that the deceased programmer is not in fact deceased. He escapes again, goes to the deceased programmer. Uh, uh, Jennifer joins him because he calls her after freaking a phone because he acts the phone to call her for free. Anyway, <laughs> she joins him and he explains to the man what's going on. And the man whose son and wife have both died terribly in a car accident says that he is not interested in trying to stop global thermonuclear war. It's inevitable. Things change all the time and not to worry because he is close enough to a high likelihood site that he will be incinerated instantly when the bombs hit. They <laughs> finally desperately, after a terrible moment where they realize that the world is about to end, he finally breaks, takes them back to the facility, at which point they argue with Joshua, trying to explain to the computer that you shouldn't play global thermonuclear war as the computer over and over again hacks. Like there are various scenes where the computer is hacking and lying to the Americans about what the Russians are doing. So we keep raising our DEFCON level, DEFCON 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, because when you reach DEFCON 1 and whoever launches the bombs first wins the war. They convince the computer Joshua to play a game of tic-tac-toe because most games end in a draw. And then Joshua takes, it's a learning system, so it takes what it learned from tic-tac-toe and applies it to global thermonuclear war in a really amazing technological scene. That's lovely, yeah. It's an amazing, I would honestly advise people watch this because the the, the technological scene of when Joshua plays all the all of the variants is amazing. The way they... Yeah, it's very, very tense, very represent. cool. Yeah. Very, yeah. Because it's very boring. It's a computer doing computer stuff. But the way they visually represent it and whether it has lights and the human reactions, it's really good mm. work. Um, ultimately, Joshua realizes the only way to win global thermonuclear war is not to play. And he uh, turns off the DEF CON. And How about a nice game of chess? Yes. Uh, it's important that the computer Joshua is not Hal. It's not malicious. It's not cruel. It doesn't understand the difference between the game Global Thermonuclear War and the and just a game. It doesn't understand that there is human life at stake because it is a computer. Right. It doesn't That's understand not anything. It, in the eighties. It doesn't yeah. understand anything. It hasn't been taught. Right. Yeah. It, it's not malicious. It's just a computer running a program that doesn't realize it needs to stop. Although if I, um, if I may butt in really quick, I'm sorry, there, there is a, an intro scene. And so one theme that's going through this is that they find out that 20. Yeah. That that's what tried, I was going to say. They try to find out that they find out through an intro scene that uh, when they do a, uh, a secret test to act like global th- nuclear war has been created, that the men who are supposed to be the uh, dead man's hand to turn the keys to do a, uh, a launch about 22% of the time fail to turn them. They won't do it. And so a big argument going through this is who should be the one that turns the key for the dead man's hand? Should we have it be the computer or should we have it be men? And so at the end, it's sort of this question of who should it be with both humans and computers deciding that the only way to win is not to play. Also, um, for West Wing fans... The yes. man who Leo. refused to tend to King, Leo McGay. Yeah, yeah John Spencer. The, Looking the exactly the same age, which is <laughs> the man that did he like stopped aging at like fifty and but just stayed yeah. looking. He had a face carved out of wood. <laughs> but uh, it's he, well he looked apparently he looked fifty when he was like twenty and then just stayed there. Yeah, but Patrick Stewart style. In in the American government, there's sort of two, there's this sort of like blowhard general who wants to demand that humans stay in control of the keys, and this sort of like uh, 
oh god who is he a great character actor dabney coleman dabney coleman who's yeah, also uh, the Dr. shady McKay, boss right? and nine to five who wants computers to be in charge of it. And mm. so they're both like trying to sort of cover their own butt about what's going wrong with the computers. And they both have their mm. own motivations. And at the end of the movie, when their actions have actually almost led us to nuclear war, they're shown to be relieved. It didn't happen and mm. to reach out to other humans. And so this movie has antagonists, but no villains. The computer's not the villains. The government isn't the villains. There are no villains here. Global thermonuclear war is the villain. Like, yes. that's right. it. <laughs> it's this weird thing where, like, I'm shocked that this movie got made in the 80s. Yeah, right? <laughs> because It's it, kind of radical in its way. Not only that, but something that has aged very well yeah. is when David and Jennifer find out that um, the doctor, Falk, uh, Falkman, it's like, Falcon. okay, yeah. we're just going to die. And they're like, what? <laughs> and the kids are very angry at the adults for getting them into this situation. Yeah. And they're like, I'm a teenager. I shouldn't have to be dealing with this. Yeah, like like Dave, like uh, Matthew Broderick's character, David, going on this like sort of pseudo breakdown rant to to um, Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer about how he always thought there would be time to learn how to swim. Like it's this very like great moment. Well, and he, he also says, I wish, basically says, I wish I didn't know the world was going to end tomorrow. Yeah. Because I could just live another normal day and be done. Yeah, and it's like, it's great because like in a lot of these modern movies, even with high stakes, it's like kind of like wacky child hijinks. This is a, this is a chill, a movie geared towards a younger it audience. It has real stakes. Not, yeah. It's not a children's movie and the stakes are not treated like a joke. And Matthew Broderick's character, uh, David, once he realizes what's happening and especially once he's taken um, to NORAD and he realizes how bad things are, he, he is frantic for the rest of the movie until the very end. He is panicked. He is afraid. He is frantic. He's not cool. He's not cool at all. He's hysterical. um, I would say also like speaking of like non villains, but like it's, it's not just, it's not actually just nuclear war that I would say is sort of the villain presence, but the cold war generally. Yeah. Because parent, the cold war paranoia is the reason none of these military people believe David when he explains very simply what happened. Yeah. He's like, I was They're like, trying... why don't I believe you as the, yeah. like in that, in a very sort of smarmy self-satisfied way. And it's like, why don't you believe him? Okay. So very yeah, cold. Like, I... Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, he's like, I was, and like when they ask him what happened, he's like, I was trying to get into, I wanted to play computer games. I called in and there was an open line that offered me games. I figured out, one of my friends told me I should figure out the backdoor password. And I did and played a game. Like, And he's like, I think that this is what's going on and what we need to do to stop it. And they won't listen to him because they can't, their egos can't allow them to believe that a child did this. There's a moment when Falcon confronts General Jack, General Berenger, played by Barry Corbin. And he's like, use your head. Do you honestly think the Russians would attack all out without any provocation? And the guy's like, oh, crap, I don't know. (laughs) And, well, the thing is, is, is what's great is because earlier on he's complaining like, why do two, 22% of my men are first refuse to turn the key? Like they have the information. They know they should do it. They know they should launch war. And there's that moment where he's literally sweating. It's great. There are a lot of people sweating in this where you can. Oh, there's some sweat. great sweating in this movie. Uh, I feel like modern day movies don't truly have a good sweat. Like something about the way we're filming or lighting or something. This is the way we light anymore. and the way we mm. light and film. And it requires a certain type of makeup and understanding. And yeah. Mm. Yes. Which is not getting to the point, but people understand you can have you have to like people who aren't white differently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like like and he's he's sweating and it's this great moment because to me it's when it's the moment where he realizes that he is one of the twenty two percent that isn't going to turn the key and mm. it's the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. Well can I uh, also say Clearly, unbeknownst to the people that made this movie, because there was there's no way they could have known at the time, but War Games came out in '83. Mm-hmm. On September 26th, 1983, that is when Stanislav Petrov 
became the man who decided to not end the world due to like a computer glitch. That's the <laughs> Russian guy wait, who wait, wait, just that proceed that those like this happened. I thought this was I thought this movie was totally in reaction to that. I don't think so because I don't what? think anyone outside the the, U, the USSR knew that this happened. You're right. Yeah, because that this, this happened in 1983. There's no, there's, I, I don't know, and I didn't, I, I should have thought to look into when we actually found out about it outside of Russia, but yeah, he he kept silent for ten years. So okay, so this, according to the the BBC, uh, like he, this wasn't known until at least 93. Yeah. So. so this the like that like do you really think they would do this moment happened with a real person the year this movie came out but it was a russian person <laughs> like a soviet missile dude like holy crap so real quick red yeah. dawn was written by kevin reynolds and his original script was it was much more paranoia and psychological mm-hmm. and then mayu came in and basically overrode all of that and just made it a full-blown bluster violence and actual rebellion. <laughs> okay. Whereas War Games, written by Lawrence Lasker and F. Parks, um, the original director, Martin Bress, he was intentionally trying to go for a darker route mm. and making Jennifer and David almost like doing this on purpose, as mm. if they had an agenda. Oh, that would have been way worse. Yeah, and John Badham's like, no, no, they're just kids. They're just screwing around. And I think Badham's interpretation is much more interesting because unlike War Game, unlike Red Dawn, War Games has a lot of characters, but I know who they are. Yeah. And even though I don't spend, like, I don't know the backstory, I know where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Even the guard they- who's guarding David at NORAD is a sexist douchebag <laughs> who's harassing the nurse in the station next to him. Yeah, he is. Uh but like it's, and again, the fact that no one in this, they start to kind of be painted as villains. And again, I think this this movie is really something we don't have anymore, which is where that there is a young protagonist who is in like high school. He's actually seventeen years old. There is a young protagonist who is it like I'm a cool kid. I'm a genius. He's not a genius. He's clever. Right. He's into other things people aren't into. But he's not a genius. He has and to go to other people to find out how to get yeah, a backdoor yeah. password. I love it. And he's not. He's a genius. He's scared. He's not. A, I'm sorry. He's not a genius. He's scared. And it's a movie that no one is a villain. There isn't like the adults are villains and they're going to be mean to you. And they're going <laughs> to. Yeah. I guess the high school teacher that he has is kind of a, a bully. Right. But mm, yeah. <laughs> in the end, it's, I don't know. It's just the sort of movie reaffirms like we are people in a really messed up situation and it almost is hopeful because it's like well the youth could be better Mm. well what's funny is uh david and jennifer are just kids yeah Yeah. um the way they react to the teacher who i can see existing he's not like an unbelievable dick he's like (laughs) oh yeah i've had that guy before (laughs) (laughs) and the way they react to him is like well yeah you're gonna be that guy they're gonna react to you that way (laughs) Yeah, it's it's actually yeah pretty great. But like Jennifer is just like she's not a like they don't put them into boxes. Yeah, like they're not upset. Like they don't try to figure out like what clique would they belong to. And Jennifer is just a teenage girl who finds David somewhat interesting and funny. And she she likes him, and it's not that she doesn't like him because he changes her grade, right? Uh, she actually at first tells him not to and then changes her mind. She likes him because she just kind of likes him and thinks he's interesting. Right. But I, I really actually love the scene where they think they're just playing the game. It's at the very beginning. He's like, okay, uh, what cities are we going to pick to be new? So they pick, <laughs> oh, like, it's so great. Vegas and Seattle. And then uh, they, they, they play, they're going to play Russia. They pick Vegas and Seattle. And then he's like, okay, what else do you want to do? And she's like, give them the submarines. <laughs> <laughs> she, and, gets- like, she gets super into it. Yeah, it's real good. Well, like, even the parents are just, like, parents. Yeah. Like, they're not awful. The dad's, like, kind of, like, maybe not paying that close attention, but at the same time, it's like, he has his own stuff going on, the mom. And they they don't have any problem with their son being, like, a tech-obsessed, like, nerd. 
Right, they, they just wish really... he would get out a little bit more. <laughs> and they aren't really weird and gross about the fact, like, a very pretty, obviously popular girl wants to talk to their kind of nerdy son. They're like, yeah, it's fine. I was yeah, actually pretty stunned by that. I was like, I was <laughs> waiting for the dad to make, like, a sick or, like, creepy joke or something. Yeah. And he's like, like no. Nope. very... Do you know a just... seven-letter word for whatever this word is? Never heard of it. Neither have I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like... Honestly, just War Games has aged very well. <laughs> Better than movies I, that I saw two years ago. <laughs> I honestly think the thing about it that I would love, again, I would love uh, a Generation Z person to watch it, partially because um, a lot of the technology is on the very end of my consciousness. Like a lot of these things stopped existing before I came into existence hmm. mentally. But I was still kind of aware of what technology was 10 years before. I think a lot of the technology to them would be somewhat inscrutable. Yeah. Of like the computer in David's room and like the way his phone works and stuff like that. House phones. (laughs) Two landlines. His parents must be well off. I'm going to tell you that right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And then um, but just so so at the end, it's sort of like I can't believe the adults have fucked me. We are all going to die and no one will help us. And the movie ends with, hey, we're not all going to die. They are going to help us. And I'm like, yeah, um, yeah. that didn't age well. Like I, the, the whole like the triumph of this movie, the, the climax is literally both people and a machine learning something and changing for the better because of it. Like yeah. listening to others, taking in that information and realizing something and acting on it. That's it. And also willing to like take a risk on other people being people. <laughs> yeah, I will say. Uh, so there's a moment when they first look at footage of uh, Falcon, James Ackerman, mm. and Ali Sheed is like, "Oh my god, he looks amazing!" And I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> really?" <laughs> I was like, "Who are we looking at here?" And then <laughs> he's like, "Oh, he died. Oh, he looked really young. No, he's pretty old." He doesn't look that old. He's 41, my age. Oh, that's pretty old me. Hey, what the heck? <laughs> but that also is accurate to like the high school idea right. of what old is. And also we are very old. <laughs> I I am not going to be honest. I'm going to be honest. Like 41 is not that old. It's not. But like even in high school, I don't think I would have said this is 41 old. Like when I was in high school, my dad was 41 years old. My dad was 41 when I graduated. If you think about math, means he was pretty young when he had. I don't me. think I don't people think... were thinking about math though. They weren't yeah, even they thinking about joke. end of the world they, stuff. They make that joke in the movie at, in that scene. Like that's oh, as old as my dad. Oh yeah. That <laughs> um, uh. But yeah, no, I really like was really shocked that this a this movie got made during the time because this is propaganda for Antifa almost in terms of like <laughs> this is a movie that's sta- flat out stating well maybe hu- maybe human connection can save us right not only that but just flat out saying you know this notion that mutually assured destruct this is absurd why are we depending on this yeah it's uh yeah but I mean it is one of those things where it seems odd but also all of the people all of the adults behind the scenes who made this movie grew up during this like the most you're gonna be nuked to death parts of the cold war like i i see this as like a a movie like this i would hope is almost inevitable at least one of people being like it can't just be the world is destroyed right there's got to we we have to even just in our imaginations reach for something that's not that but it's also like super grim because it's like, oh, the world's not going to be destroyed. And I'm like, well, if you're just going to make big steps, I guess this is a fantasy <laughs> film because it's pretty hard. Uh, like, no, not no, no. to Carol, bring the. What? They're just saying the world won't be destroyed all at once in nuclear fire. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> so, so the scientists that they talk to, because there's a really weird part of this where this, where like David is like working out how to convince Joshua not to launch nukes right. at the very end. And the scientist like encouraging David and his thinking. And I'm like, dude, if you know the answer, just put in the fucking <laughs> <Right>. answer. <laughs> but I also understand like this is one of those movies where the kids are oh, the protagonists, so the adults do and like, no, no, you do it. I'm like, you know, it wouldn't hurt if you just fucking did it and then explain. <laughs> yeah, like you don't need to have, this is not the time for a teachable moment. Your child is, is dead, Im- okay? And now the rest of the world is about to. This is an important pedagogical moment. Clearly I can see this student is making connections. Like there's <laughs> There's enough nuclear launch code I- integers left before we're all killed. Let's let him figure it out. It's good. <laughs> a, what do you think, something. David? What would you do? 
Interesting. <laughs> Give it a try. See what happens. Uh, that's a. I love it. <laughs> that, that, that that's an exceptionally weird moment. Um, yeah, it is a little bit artificial stakes crazy, but I, I. It's such a charming movie that I do not care. <laughs> what if we do this? But, Why don't you try it? Like, what were you going to hmm. tell him? No, don't even fucking bother. Well, what what if it was a bad idea? I hope the person working that terminal can type fast enough. <laughs> hey, this is my. Oh my god! The the incident report that they're gonna have to fill out on this. Yeah, what's our after action report for this? <laughs> uh. But it's um, yeah, it's 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 kind of hard not to. Oh, yeah, but but so the the scientist guy, he's kind of losing it. And they're like, okay, there is going to be a nuclear war. Here's what I've done. I hacked the computer with your dead kid's name. Like, that's done. He's like, yeah, uh, Joshua is going to launch the nukes. That is how you win the game of global thermonuclear. Like, that's how you play. Like, yeah, you, you've killed us all. <laughs> so dinosaurs like, are cool, huh? Yeah, he's like, that's why I love the dinosaurs. He's like, something else will evolve. He's like, what, what does he put his money on? <laughs> I don't remember. Uh... Oh, I forgot. Hmm. Bees. Bees. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. But, but the next like Ooh. great species will be bees. And like, Ooh, bad news, and buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. I don't know. Yeah, like I and remember so this it, movie being something other than it is. And, and it's, it's very good. But the thing is, is like that moment is very much like. Oh, this is what's happening now, except um, it's not like, oh, I just have to turn off this computer. It's like, nah, it's t- too late. <laughs> no, now we have to do work. And who wants that? <laughs> like, like it, it'd be like if already two or three of the bombs had launched and you have to clean up those. Like, that's where we're at. Have you guys seen the flooding in Germany? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm being Oof. super depressed. But for some reason, these movies put me in a bad mental place. <laughs> I can't imagine why. I know. Oh, also, I forgot that I wanted to add. Uh, I found Red Dawn really disturbing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have watched it multiple times before. Uh, I watching like the police like drag people off the streets into cars and stuff. I'm like, this this looks a little bit like Portland. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of what the American police were doing to uh, the Portlanders <laughs> during during the uprisings last. During, summer. Are we not oh. during the <laughs> now? Like, what month is it? Yeah, no. during the now. Oh. <laughs> I am upset by this, and but I yes, don't no, know how should, to process these feelings. Yeah, no, we should definitely be afraid of the scary world communism coming for us and not, like, the people in charge here who do that stuff already. No, that's fine. It's good. It's great. It's wonderful. Boogity, boogity, boo. <sighs> All right. War Games was good, though. War Games is good, and Red Dawn has its charms. It's fascinating in everything it's trying to do, it re- yeah. but fails and succeeds in doing other things it's not trying to do in this. Like, like as, as upsetting as I found it on like a moral level, especially <laughs> certain parts, uh, and the way that it just doubles down on, no, no, toxic, abusive, masculine cycles of, well, that's good. It's don't a, it's ever cry. Yeah, don't ever cry, you you cowards. Don't ever cry, it'll help when the monsters come to take your guns. The most important yeah. thing is to keep your guns. I will say, I, I, I can't say that I've now seen the worst Patrick Swayze performance. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I still, like, it. it is a movie that, is, that gives a lot to think about. Yes. Uh, and, like, I'm not mad that I watched it. I, I actually am glad that I finally watched this movie. It's... Uh, there's there's a lot there, it's it's a rewarding experience and also infuriating uh, i i will continue to watch red dawn <laughs> as being about the movie i pretend that it's about in my head <laughs> which is a movie about how the revolutionary spirit will always be at home and it will recognize the spirit and others and the um as long I mean, as I... you don't do it uh, outside the house where it's weird, <laughs> you know it's it's, it's it's like the way that like it, uh, really conservative people like view being gay. Like as long as I don't see it, it's like that only for communism. <laughs> like just don't uh, shove it in my face. That's yeah, don't it. shove it in my face by existing in public at all in any way. That's shoving it in my face. Yeah. How dare you can't oh. be con- Yeah, but otherwise it's okay to be communist. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. All right, that's all the time uh, we have for now. <laughs> yeah. Watch both of these movies. You know what? Just do it. They're 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 worthwhile. Uh, worthwhile. I, I'm glad that we watched Red Dawn first and then War Games because uh, yeah, that's iconic. Yeah, War Ga- you- Despite the yeah opposite release order is highly <laughs> recommended because War Games is is a much more hopeful movie and 
Yeah. And more intentionally funny. Yeah. And, and more coherent. <laughs> Much more yeah. coherent. Just in every way. War games, thumbs, just honestly, solidly thumbs up. Yeah. Good movie. Deserves the respect that it gets. All right. That's all the time we have. Say goodbye, guys. Yes. Wow. Heterosexual communism. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. You can do... Oh, I'm not... You can't do a watch party with us, Jeremiah. What? No, it's it's because we stop the movie every five minutes to fight with it. What? I there's an Illinois Bigfoot. I didn't know about this. Where is it located? I don't. Okay. Ooh. Oh, we should see it. I love, fo- I don't know why, but like faux documentaries are one of my favorite genres. I have no idea why, but I love them so much.